You're listening to Connect on blogtalkradio.com. Catch us on the web at umconnect.info. Well, welcome to this episode of Connect. I'm Michael Rich, the Web and Communications Manager for the Western North Carolina Conference. Today's guest is George Mitrovich. Uh, George is a United Methodist layperson from San Diego, California. He has had a long career in politics and civic affairs and currently serves as a chairman of the Fenway Park Riders Series, along with running public forums in San Diego and in Denver. And he was introduced to me by Bishop Ken Carter as a baseball fan and a prominent United Methodist lay person. Give us just a little bit of background. Where are you from? Where you grew up? Um, and then talk about your background in the United Methodist Church. Well, I was born in San Diego a long time ago, 81 years ago. Grew up in San Diego, went to Pasadena Nazarene College and after that, was basically gone from San Diego for about 19 years, living in the Los Angeles area. Worked for the governor of California, then worked for Bobby Kennedy in the presidential campaign. We moved to Washington. I worked for the Congress for five years, two Republican uh, senator and a, a rep- member of the House of Representatives, and uh uh, two Democrats, a senator and a member of the House of Representatives, came home <clears throat> to San Diego in the summer of 1973, started the City Club of San Diego, which is a public forum in 1975, started the Denver Forum in 1985 at the invitation of the then governor of Colorado, Dick Lamb, um, have been involved in a lot of civic um, undertakings in San Diego, particularly um, chaired the Citizens <clears throat> Committee for the new ballpark, Petco Park downtown, because I had been born six blocks from there, and that part of our city had not changed in <clears throat> in my lifetime. Now it's totally new, totally different. Hmm. And I chaired, uh, over a long period of time, the effort to change <clears throat> city government from council manager to strong mayor. So some people call me the father of strong mayor. And I've served on a lot of commissions, chairman of the stadium authority for eight years, uh, was president of the San Diego County Ecumenical Council uh, for two years, served on its board for more than 10. We had approximately 125 Christian churches, including a heavy and significant Catholic presence. Um, I've been involved with the Boston Red Sox <clears throat> for 14 years, chairing the, uh, their birthday tribute to Jackie Robinson. Started the process to get Jackie Robinson the Congressional Gold Medal, which was awarded by President George W. Bush in uh, March of 2005 in a great ceremony at the, in the rotunda of the United States Capitol. I actually wrote the legislation. Somebody has said, well, how did you write it? You're not a senator, true enough. But I didn't like the version that was written by one of the legislative people for Senator, then Senator John Kerry, so I rewrote it and they adopted my language. Um, okay. Is that, does that help? Yeah, that gives us a lot of background on you. Um, so which uh, United Methodist Church do you attend in San Diego? Well, I'm, <clears throat> I'm a member at First United Methodist Church, 
which happens to be the largest church in the Western jurisdiction. Uh, my wife and I became Methodists in 1962. We had been members of the Church of Nazarene, and that uh, church remains a big influence in our lives. But we've been Methodists in 62. We joined First Methodist Pasadena. Um, I had been greatly influenced by Gerald Kennedy, uh, the bishop of the Southern California Arizona Conference, and, by the way, the only Methodist bishop to ever be on the cover of Time magazine. He was a <clears throat> he was a significant influence in my life. Now, I was uh, reading in your biography that you spent a little time in the School of Theology at Claremont. When was that? I did, but it wasn't. It wasn't. I wasn't there long. I, we had three children, and I was under the impression that a gentleman was going to help with, with the cost of going to the School of Theology, but that didn't work out. So I had to go to work, and um, I did. Um, I worked for a. Uh, the Whittier Daily News, which is a, a city, a suburban city east of uh, of Los An downtown Los Angeles. Uh, but I look, I I'm not ordained, but I get invited to preach. At, I just on Laity Sunday, I was the preacher at at our church, First First Methodist. Um, I've preached at the National Cathedral. I've uh, it was in St. Petersburg, Florida, um, the Sunday after Easter to preach at Pasadena Community Church, uh, which is a large Methodist church. Um, I've preached at First Church Houston at Highland Park at Church of the Resurrection, which is our biggest Methodist church. Mm -hmm. um, and I've preached in Episcopal churches, Presbyterian, Nazarene churches. Invite me to preach and I'll come. <laughs> Well, well, you've heard the invitation. Uh, he will come and preach at your church. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I I look at what you uh, do based on your writing and and whatnot, and I don't know that you have a whole lot of spare time. But uh, I find that amazing that uh, you're still on the move at 81 like this. And we're going to talk well, about baseball. Well, I, <clears throat> I mean, the obvious thing is I'm lucky, but. I have no, you know, I have a very short attention span, so I don't have any time for boredom. Um, I, you know, I still run the City Club, the San Diego, the Denver Forum, do uh, the Writers Series with Boston, where I'll be uh, um, next week, um, the great Washington Writers Series that we do a couple of times a year. Um, and I, I still play baseball. I play on a 45 and older league. Not many people in their 80s or 70s are doing that. Um, and as I often add, and I mow my own lawn, uh, trim my own hedges, and pull my own weeds. Good for you. That's Well, that is the way to live to be 81, I think, um, is to stay that active. Um, one of the things I noticed in your biography and uh, having spent a little time researching you, um, you had a very diverse career in politics, uh, working for both Democrats and Republicans. Uh, you were a press aide, press secretary, among other things. Um, um, tell us a little bit about that career. What what was um, that leading uh, force in your life, working on both sides of the aisle, that kind of 
uh, situation? Well, <clears throat> I think, um, uh, I mean, I really, until 1966, uh, I had never really been involved in politics. I had, uh, there was a guy named Joe Schell who was, had been in the st- California state legislature. He was running for governor against Richard Nixon. That would be in 1962. Um, I liked him a lot, so I walked precincts for him. That was kind of my initial foray into politics. And uh, when I was working for the Whittier Daily News, I became friends with a a television presenter for ABC in Los Angeles. He got a call one day from a guy who said they were looking, the lieutenant governor who was named Glenn Anderson, the governor was Pat Brown, they were looking for someone uh, to do uh, media for them, and I was interviewed, got hired, and clearly that changed my life. And because I greatly enjoy meeting people and and being friendly to people, um, I got to know a lot of people in the governor's office. The lieutenant governor and the governor didn't have a particularly close relationship. I tried to bridge that. I think I did. And then when uh, Bobby Kennedy got into the race for president, I wanted, in the worst way, to work <clears throat> for him. And I had gotten to know Pierre Salinger, who had been President Kennedy's press secretary. And Pierre got me into the campaign. And that was definitely a life-changing experience. Um, I worked for Charles Goodell, a senator from New York, who had been appointed to the seat, uh, to Bobby's seat, when Bobby was assassinated. Um, I didn't go to work for him immediately, but in time I did, and and it was a very good decision. Um, I worked for Harold Hughes, senator from Iowa, former governor of Iowa, who was running for president and had asked me, actually the day after Senator Goodell lost, if I would consider being his press secretary. And a lot of people thought he was going to be president, including me. And um, one, and Walter Mondale, senator from Minnesota, uh, invited me or asked me if I wanted to be his press secretary. And uh, as it happens, regretfully uh, said no. But I did recommend the person he actually hired to be his press secretary. So I missed out on the chance uh, to work at the White House for four years. That was unfortunate. But I also worked for two congressmen, um, Lester Wolf, Democrat from Long Island, and um, Seymour Halpern uh, from what's known as the Silk Stocking District of Manhattan, uh, a Republican. But um, uh, you know, a liberal Republican in the sense that he cared about issues of social justice, but fiscally was conservative. There were a whole lot of Republicans in the House and the Senate at that time who were just that. They, my, the person I'd known longest in politics was Mark Hatfield, uh, an outstanding, outstanding Christian statesman. I got to know him when he was governor of Oregon. Um, and they they were committed to social justice, but but they were fiscally conservative. But look, it was a it was a hugely uh, different time. Um, no doubt. Uh, and it and we're not the better for it. I mean, it's not that no friendships exist across the political aisle 
in Washington, uh, they do. For instance, when Hillary Clinton was in the Senate, someone she often worked with was uh, Sam Brownback of Kansas, who is now the governor of Kansas and who is one of the most conservative people in this country. Um, but we don't hear enough about that. All we hear about are, you know, the the disagreements, the the vitriol, the the rancor, um, the anger. Um, and I, you know, look, we're we're tired of it. I don't care, Democrat, Republican, Independent, uh, Trump person, Hillary person, uh, William Will, Gary Johnson person. Um, we're tired of it. We want to be done with it. We. The greatness of this country is directly related to to, to being, you know, a, a people of of, of unity. Um, and at the moment, we're just not. Oh, no doubt about it. And you know, those discussions will go on even after uh, November eighth. So. Um, well, they will. But... And I think that I mean, look, Mrs. Clinton is going to be president. That's just going to happen. And her greatest challenge, I believe, will be how do you reach out to all of those people who supported Mr. Trump, who are still angry, still upset? You've got to find a way to do that. And that, I don't know. I mean, it's it's just a very big challenge. She was not actually my candidate in the beginning. I have been a friend of the vice president's for over 40 years. I love Joe Biden. I wanted him to run we um, had a 40-minute conversation one Sunday night in which I said, you need to do this, but I didn't win that argument. Too bad. Hmm. I would've... He would have been, um, you know, people love Joe Biden. They don't always agree with him. But you know what? <clears throat> uh, December 22, I'll have been married 60 years. I don't always agree with my wife. I've said that when you've been married as long as I have, you become an expert in disagreement. <laughs> well, there's truth to that. Yeah. I'll tell you what, George, we're going to take a little break. I've got a couple of commercials. It'll take us a minute, and then we're going to come back and talk baseball because I know that's a love of you. Oh, my gosh, baseball. I can do that. All right. Thank you. So Thank you for this. Here's a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Liz Bichelle, video coordinator for the Western North Carolina Conference. While my responsibilities include coordinating videos and recording audio, other members of the systems and communications team work with databases and computers. Other departments at the conference deal with finances, and others help build vital churches and assist in clergy. While each one of us at the conference staff have differing gifts and skills, we all work together for one mission, to follow Jesus, make disciples, and transform the world. The United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina is a ministry of the church for the church whose mission is to build a church for generations to come. We fulfill this vision by investing in people as well as helping churches and related institutions invest the financial resources that God has given to them. My name is David Snipes, and we look forward to the day when you give your United Methodist Foundation a call. And you can find out more about the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina at the sponsor page on our show's website, which is umconnect.info. And we're back now with George Mitrovich. He's on the phone with us from San Diego this morning. Um, Bishop Carter, uh, Ken Carter, was the one that introduced me to you um, by email. Um, He was telling me about uh, the great Fenway Park Riders series over a meal one night, your love of baseball. (laughs) 
And so uh, I think that that's appropriate after talking politics. Let's go to something really important in life, uh, uh, Major League Baseball. Uh, <laughs> it's been a heck of a season. It has. And uh, by the way, I love the bishop. Uh, I'm on the uh, board of the uh, Seattle Pacific University School of Theology, and that's how I met the bishop. And and, uh, we hit it off right at the beginning because, among other things, hugely talented guy. Uh, He's a Red Sox fan. So that was that was a great that was a great connection. Um, The Boston Red Sox have. um, what I think of as a unique ownership, John Henry and Tom Warner, Mr. Henry being the principal owner, um, and Larry Lacino, who had been with the San Diego Padres and the Baltimore Orioles, uh, went to the Red Sox in 82 and became their president. And every great thing that's happened to the Red Sox since Larry joined uh, John and Tom it's just been been remarkable, not least, of course, winning the World Series in 2004 after mm. um, going 86 years. But the Riders Series um, evolved out of the City Club and the Denver Forum. You know, it's what really what I do with my life. And Larry <clears throat> Lacino was fully supportive of it. Dr. Charles Steinberg one of the vice presidents of the Red Sox and a great friend, also was very enthusiastic. So we've done over 100 programs. We're the only team in the history of professional sports, so far as any of us know, that's ever sponsored a literary series. But I think, you know, it's the Red Sox, it's appropriate. Boston likes to think of itself as the Athens of America, so why shouldn't the Red Sox have a literary series? The other thing about the Red Sox that your listeners uh, really, I think, will appreciate knowing is they have the highest civic ethic of any team in sports. They're involved in so many, many wonderful things. And, uh, um, they're, they're just, they underwrite so many things. The Jimmy Fund is the greatest single charity. They've raised <clears throat> over $100 million for the Jimmy Fund, which began when Ted Williams uh, was with the Red Sox, and it's an effort to find a cure for cancer. And, mm-hmm. and, but that's the most visible, the most dramatic example of what they do. But it, it just, just the other day, for instance, uh, a boys and girls club here in San Diego, one of the persons involved called me and asked, is it possible that we have a big dinner coming up? It's our auction. It's our major fundraiser. Can you get give us anything from the Red Sox? Well, the answer was, you know, one phone call. And yes, we the Red Sox said we want to help them. They do things like that. There's a homeless shelter in Denver that every year the Red Sox give give away a Red Sox week in a hotel room, uh, game uh, tickets to the games, and um, that's always the auction item that raises the most money. Our daughter, Carolyn, works for a community service uh, agency here in San Diego, and they have a similar auction and fundraiser. And one on one of those occasions, somebody paid $13,000, can you imagine, to, oh, for a couple of tickets to a Red Sox game. So, But the Red Sox do this. I mean, it's it just, if, if they didn't do it, I, 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 I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be a part of it. 
And this is the biggest single part of why I'm with the Red Sox. I have a pass, executive office pass. It enables me to go anywhere I want on Fenway, uh, at Fenway Park. I want to go in the clubhouse, I can do that. I don't do that. The only player I specifically have sought out to meet is David Ortiz. Um, mm. I can go down on the field. I can be there during batting cage. I can certainly walk up to players. That's not why I do it. I do it because the Red Sox represent civically. Uh, they're they're so tremendously engaged, and I think <clears throat> they set an example, an example for every uh, for every club in baseball, the, the 29 other clubs, for every club in the National Football League, the National Basketball Association, the NBA, and, and more importantly, in my view, they set an example that every corporate entity in this country should follow. Um, I don't think, look, as a person of the Christian faith, and I believe you're called to be engaged in, 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 in your public, in the public life of your, of your town, your city, your county, your state, in the public life of our country. Um, I pointed out in my sermon on Laity Sunday that in Athens of antiquity, that if you did not participate in the public life of Athens, you were known as an idiotus, which is literally an idiot. You were expected mm. uh, to participate, and Pericles said in the, his famous funeral oration honoring uh, those who had died in the Peloponnesian Wars, that we, talking about Athens, we do not imitate but are a model to others. And, and I it, look, I, nobody gets a pass. You just do not get a pass. You have to be involved. And the point of my sermon at First Methodist was that Christians, Christians are called to be engaged in public life. And how wonderful it is that Christians, most Christians, understand it. They get it. Um, when I was president of the Ecumenical Council, it, it, I, I came to understand in a far more significant way than I ever had before. And by the way, I'm somebody who's gone to church 10,000 times in my life. I know about church. Mm. But I came to understand that if it wasn't for our churches, our Christian churches, the social tapestry of America would simply unravel. It would come apart. And that every church, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, Baptist, Pentecostal, Nazarene, Holiness, whatever church that is, small churches, middle-sized churches, big churches, Every single one of them does something redemptive for the society. And one of the things that's, you know, annoying to me is that a lot of my secular friends uh, um, don't seem to have a clue about this. And as I wrote for the magazine Good News, which is a conservative Methodist magazine, as I wrote, it's our responsibility as Christians, churches, clergy, we have to tell our story. If we don't tell our story, it isn't going to be known. And the New Testament tells us that you don't light a candle and put it under a bushel. And we've got too many people in the church, particularly clergy, who aren't telling their story. They aren't letting their communities know. Here, 
here's all the things we're doing. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's unbelievable, really. And and as I've pointed out, uh, even if government had all the financial resources necessary, the government would somehow find a way to screw it up. The faith community, Christian churches, address these issues and do it to an extraordinary degree. Um, I, I've said, actually, that if I were to be president, that's probably not going to happen now, but if I were to be president, I would probably appoint as my Secretary of Health and Human Services um, some leader of the, of, of the Mormon Church, because the Mormon Church, in its social outreach to its members, does an incredible job. I mean, they just seem to get it right, and um, it 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 so impresses me. But I, when I I used to say that the social fabric of America would tear apart, and I was talking to one of my doctors here in San Diego who happens to be Jewish, and we were having this discussion, and he said, George, why don't you use tapestry? And and I just thought that's terrific, and. I remembered that my wife and I, the only time we were in France, we were in Bayou, which is on the Normandy coast, the great cathedral there, and the famous, world-famous tapestry, uh, which chronicles the Norman invasion. It's 20 feet high, 130 feet long, and it's this magnificent work of art. And he said to me, you know, if you were to pull out the Methodist thread or the Jewish thread or uh, the Baptist thread or the Presbyterian thread, the tapestry begins to disintegrate. Mm. And I just thought, okay, for 240 years, America has, has, has crafted this tapestry. But the strength of the tapestry is directly dependent upon all of us. No one single thread is more important than the other. And, you know, the Methodist Church has done some amazing things, 252 colleges and universities started by the Methodist Church. It's just unbelievable. And I was up at the University of Southern California a week ago to speak uh, at the Annenberg School of Journalism, and somehow we got, um, I always want to know from the class I was speaking to, tell me who you are, tell me where you were from, and pointed out the University of Southern California is a Methodist school. Did you know that? Did you know that in the beginning they were known not as the Trojans, but as the Fighting Methodists? And then someone said they thought about going to Northwestern Methodist School, Vanderbilt Methodist School, Duke, obviously Methodist, Drew Methodist. Um, um, it, it's just, it's some of the greatest universities in this country owe their, their beginnings to the Methodist Church. Isn't that fantastic? It is fantastic. Well, I'll tell you what, we've uh, run out of live time. I've been recording for the last minute or two. But what I wanted to say is, George, uh, you are one fascinating character, and I need to get you on again sometime. Anytime. I'm always, always happy and, and, and honored uh, to be asked, and I really mean that. So and I'm so, happy to come back whenever you want me. That's great. So I, I have a question. Who's going to win yep. the World Series? Well, in the seventh inning of the game Saturday night at Wrigley Field, when the Cubs were up 5-0 over the Dodgers, I sent 
a text message to Theo Epstein, the president of baseball operations, who has been a friend since Boston and not somebody I like very much. And I said, uh, congratulations on going back to the World Series after 71 years. And I said, you will win the World Series in four straight. Uh, well, they lost <laughs> last night, but they still have a chance to win four straight, don't they? So they we'll sure see. Uh, last night was kind of an ugly game. And, and, and the thing about baseball is the game really turned. The bases were loaded, right, in the first inning. I saw that, yeah. And, the, and there were two outs, and the game really turned on whoever the bat, batter was. He just hit a little dribbler, I mean a dribbler, down the third baseline and got a base hit and a run scored. And then Lester, uncharacteristically, hit the, bat, hit the next batter. So two runs come in. That was really the game. And um, uh, I just, I mean, I, I do these baseball notes, and I often point out that the game of the game of baseball is so incredibly inexplicable that it doesn't matter how many times you go, you're going to see something you've never never seen. When my our grandson was starting little league, I went to all of his games, and I always saw something I hadn't seen before. You always do. You talk to baseball people, they'll all tell you the same thing. It's just, you know, Gene McCarthy, the late senator, um, was a very great friend, and I'm unique among Kennedy people, and I'm a Kennedy person, and the family says that I am, and I am, and I'm close to them. And I'm the, probably the only Kennedy person that had a good friendship with Gene McCarthy, and I dearly loved him. He said to me one day, he said, you know, George, baseball is a game for intellectuals. So I was sharing that with our daughter, Carolyn, and she looked at me and said, Dad, it's obvious Senator McCarthy's never been to a game at Qualcomm Stadium. <laughs> and sat, and sat, she said, he's never been, he's never, she, she said, he has never sat in the left field bleachers at Qualcomm Stadium. So there's that. Do you, do you see my baseball notes? I, I am seeing them now, and so I love reading them. You're, but um, you're getting them, right? I am. Yeah. Well, I hope you'll read today. Um, I I I was I feel good about what I wrote today. It was it's a kind of a rag on the phony fans of Cleveland, but you'll have to read it to understand uh, what I'm saying. Um, and, and I ended it by saying, "May the Lord bless Cleveland. May the Lord make His face to shine upon Cleveland. May the Lord be gracious unto Cleveland both this day and forevermore." Amen. And Lord, it's time. <laughs> but that has to do with the city, not with the ball club. No doubt. So somebody well, pointed thanks out. Thank you so much for giving us of your time. And... Oh, it's always fun. You know, I'm, All right. I'm one of those individuals of whom it has been said that you never want to ask them the time because they'll wind up telling you how to build a watch. <laughs> there you anyway, go. that's me. Thank you. The Lord bless you as well for you. And thanks Thank everyone you, for listening thanks. to us on Blog Talk Radio. The show will be available shortly as a podcast on the Blog Talk Radio page, on the show's website, and on iTunes. Keep up with the latest at umconnect.info. We'll be back next week connecting United Methodists and their stories. Thanks to our sponsors, the Western North Carolina Conference and the United Methodist Foundation of Western North Carolina. You can find out more about them on the sponsors section of the website, umconnect.info. I'm Michael Rich, and you've been listening to Connect.